On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Locked On Texans, your daily podcast covering your favorite football team every single day. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis, along with my partner in crime. John, some sports guy Hickman. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. Rather, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. It is Tuesday, and we are going to discuss a little more in depth about what the one in six Houston Texans have going on, whether it could be from last year problems that are finally starting to surface because today we're going to talk about Brian Gain. Cody, you know, thought it was very interesting, and so did I, to discuss Brian Gain. And also what I hinted at yesterday, how maybe one of the most overlooked screw jobs was letting go the cap specialist Chris Olsen. So that's a couple of things we're going to talk about today in regards to the front office. We're also going to talk about the possibilities of maybe or not, whether or not we have seen the last of this franchise storied player. Cody, I'm going to let you pose a question that has been running rampant through Texas Twitter throughout the entire week. Actually, for the last couple of weeks, if we're being honest. A couple of weeks. Let's try at least the last couple of years. You know, going back two years ago was the first time we started hearing, you know, some noise about should and would the Texans considering trading J.J. Watt. And at first it was like, man, get out of here. They ain't going to never trade J.J. Watt. He is the franchise. But you forgot one number, a number that we all know. J.J. Watt is sitting at number 99 when it comes to his career sacks. And we were hoping that he could get 100 with the Houston Texans. But I hate to break it down like this, but after Sunday's game, it's hard to wonder and it's hard to imagine J.J. Watt returning to this franchise when they return back from the bye week with the trade deadline a week from now. And I say that because when you look at J.J. Watt body language, throughout the game on Sunday, you can see that he was fed up. Not just this press conference that he did on Sunday when he gave literally three to five word answers. This whole entire year, J.J. Watt has looked really unhappy in nearly every press conference, dating all the way back to training camp when local reporters started asking him about his future with the team and, you know, asking about his upcoming contract situation. I have to ask this question and I want to really know, did we see the last of JJ Watt in Houston? I know JJ Watt loves this city. I know JJ Watt loved this franchise, but at this stage in his career, it's almost like he's in a relationship where he's done everything he can to make things work. But the Texans haven't really held their part of the relationship to make it successful. Now it's like he's in a bad relationship where, where he knows he needs to leave. He knows he needs to walk out the door, pack up everything and leave. But unfortunately, his heart is going to stop him. And it's like I mentioned last week, you know, you're talking about one of the greatest defensive players that ever had played this game. I mean, at one time, he, he, he almost was league MVP at one time in his career. He was ranked 
if correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, he was ranked in the NFL's top 100. I believe it was 2014 and 2015. Correct, John? I think he was ranked twice as number one. I know for sure one, mm-hmm. one, exactly. uh, one time, but I think he was ranked number one twice. Exactly. And, you know, I say all that because everything this man has accomplished, it's sad that he does not have a Super Bowl ring to show for it. It's sad that he don't even have a Super Bowl appearance to show for it. What makes things even worse? It is sad that he doesn't have a AFC championship game to show for it. I love J.J. Watt just as much as the next Texan fan. Um, This man, regardless if we have seen the last of Watt or not, this man will forever be in the pantheon of Houston sports legends. But I think the Houston Texans should consider moving on from Watt. And yesterday during his media availability, Romeo Cannell came out and said, you know, he he don't want to move anybody, but he did admit that he has been presented with a couple of trade offers. There are some trades on the table, but none of it is official. But Romeo Cannell has said that there are some trades on the table. He didn't necessarily say J.J. Watt, but watching his body language during Sunday's game, I mean, hell, he was pissed off from the very first touchdown that the Packers made on Sunday. When I look at J.J. Watt, it reminds me of players we've seen throughout our lives. And mainly, if we look at the NBA greats, how many NBA greats we've seen not win a championship? Well, we're living. We're literally living through one right now. By the name of right James now, Harden. in in the city. Right, thank you. In the city of Houston, we are seeing James Harden. We can take it back twenty years ago. We can see uh, Charles Barkley, uh, and there's always a point in their career where the trade rumors come up. But what happens? That player doesn't want to lead, and so it's not really about trading JJ because he wants to stay here. We know he wants to stay here. J.J. is a loyal guy. J.J. is, you know, he's a Wisconsin country form bred guy, and he believes in sticking out, sticking through the good and the bad. And that's why mainly we love J.J. We, we love J.J. because when Houston needed him the most three years ago, when Hurricane Harvey hit, where was J.J.? Front line and ended up helping raise the city over $30 million. And that type of player you don't want to see leave, but it's not about trading him because he doesn't want to stay here anymore. It's about trading him to improve your franchise at this point. And we know J.J. Watt's statue will be outside the NRG one day. That's that's not a question. It's undoubtedly going to happen. But you don't want to keep him around just to jeopardize your franchise. And this isn't the Houston Watt. It's the Houston Texans, right? The only the only player I can think of in my current history to stay with their team throughout the entirety of their career is Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. But Larry Fitzgerald hasn't had a drop-off. It, it's not like he's not producing because he's not producing. You know, he had quarterback issues. But we've seen Tom Brady. He's gone. He, we, we never thought we would see Tom Brady not in a New England Patriot jersey. These things happen. And so I wanted to reiterate that it's not because J.J. shouldn't be here anymore or you're trading J.J. because he doesn't want to be here anymore. It's simply because you're one in six. You just gave Deshaun Watson and Larry Tunsil and Zach Cunningham and Whitney Merciless a ton of money, and you're one in six. And on the defensive side of the ball, you're terrible. And J.J. Watt makes $17.5 million next year. 
So it's not about keeping him around just because of his face. You have to improve your team. And here's the thing about this, this trade, if J.J. Watt was traded. And so your question was, will he be traded? No, I don't think so. Unless a, a, a trade comes around that's so worth it that they'll be dumb. Like we'll find out months later that this was on the table. Houston didn't take it. And then everybody around the city be like, why in the hell didn't you take it? So will they trade him? No, unless those circumstances happen. But should they trade him? Well, if you trade JJ before the dead, the trade deadline, you will free up roughly $25 million for 2021, which will free up enough money to go out and get you a younger proven edge rusher or to solidify and create somewhat of a secondary because that's not what you have right now here in Houston. J.J. Watt has missed 50% of the three out of the last four seasons. And ultimately, overall, this team is one in six. And the playoff aspirations they had when Bill O'Brien was spewing and feeding these dependable guy quotes at the beginning of the offseason, they're no longer here. So and we, we like to do this a lot. We, we, really, we really love to do this a lot when it comes to the player and the franchise. We like to separate a key phrase that only gets used when it, de it depends on what side of the, of, the, of the mirror you're looking at. But this is a business. And you know the season is over with. Right now, the focus should be on a couple of things. Number one, getting a GM who you trust to be able to draft well in later rounds. And I can't wait to talk about that throughout the week. Allowing a GM to pair your star quarterback with the coach he believes in and that coach believes in him, Deshaun Watson. And improving and getting back what you can. The best way to salvage this season is to make smart moves for next year. Plain and simple. And if you can get back around $25 million for next year, because your cap is so bad next year because of these, these contracts. If we, if we go down right now, Larry Tunsil is making right under $20 million. J.J. Watt is 17.5. Deshaun Washington is right under $16 million. Brandon Cooks will be making $12 million. Rudney Merciless, $12 million. Zach Cunningham, right under 11.5. It's going to be hard to try to bring in free agents. You're not going to have that much money with all of these guys on the books. Should the Texans trade J.J. Watt? As much as it may hurt for me to say this, or more importantly, as much as it may hurt for you to hear this, the question is undoubtedly yes. And let me just say this before moving on. The difference between Larry Fitzgerald and J.J. Watt, Larry has been to at least one Super Bowl, I know for sure. That was in 2008 when they almost beat the Steelers. And I want to say he has been to at least two NFC championship games. When once again, Watt hasn't been to any. And I threw out the numbers on some of those contracts. Um, we may have overlooked, now not necessarily overlooked, but forgot about one of the worst moves that Bill O'Brien decided to make. And that was firing Chris Olsen, the cap specialist, capologist, if you will. And so that's what we're going to talk about along with another uh, front office move that happened last year that really is starting to come back a little bit. But before we do that, I want to break down a couple of things to show you guys 
how special Deshaun Watson has been. You know when everything happened with the trade with DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona, who's by the way, leads the league in receiving yards with 704 through seven games. This man has been phenomenal. And Kyler Murray has a big smile on his face, literally. Man-to-man coverage, I'm going to D-hop every time. But here in Houston, we was like, who are we going to throw to? How is this going to happen? What's going to happen? What? How are we going to make up for this? And I will say that the talk the entire time was surrounded around making sure everybody, all of the receivers that we have um, on this roster, they will be utilized to necessarily not replace them, but, you know, collectively be what DeAndre Hopkins could be and more number wise. And so right now through seven games, the Texans top three receivers, which is Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller and Randall Cobb. Brandon Cooks is fifth. Will Fuller is tied for seventh and Randall Cobb is ninth among the AFC receptions for wide receivers. And if we look at AFC ranking in yards among wide receivers, Will Fuller, third, Brandon Cooks, seven, and Randall Cobb is 12th. Will Will Fuller has 490. Uh, Brandon Cooks has 427. And Randall Cobb, who had a big game Sunday, he has 372. And so... Deshaun Watson has did a very good job of incorporating each and every guy, whether it's one game here where one guy really takes over or one game where you have two guys going neck and neck and looking really good with one another on the field. Deshaun has done a very good job of making sure that he is spreading the ball. And lastly, I want to leave you guys with this, the Texans scoring by quarter in 2020, 14 points in the first quarter, 50 points in the second quarter, 33 points in the third quarter, 69 points in the fourth quarter. Cody, do you know what that screams? Inconsistency. That has been maybe, if not the biggest, one of Houston's biggest problems this season. But we're going to revert back to what happened last season, which has really been one of the building blocks to why this season has been a complete disaster. Can't wait to talk about that and more. And this football season will be a little bit different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through the game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans, like you and I, like the entire world, especially after Thursday night football game, we're the real generational town of that Pepsi fuels, right? We don't go out there on the field. We may not catch passes, but we are the passionate fans. And because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch the game. Pepsi, made for football watching. With every increasing number of makes like Fiat, Kia, and models like Pacifica and XT5, it is now impossible to stock all of your parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidated questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer? choosing only the brand his warehouse happens to carry. Come on, guys, we can do better than that. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at your home and in your pocket. One reason to repair and maintain your car is to save money that you can use for other important things like mortgage or food. Why would you choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership? For example, the Delphi FG1456 fuel pump assembly for a 2005 through 2010 Honda Odyssey cost $353.99 at Advance, a big chain store. 
but it only costs $216.79 at rockauto.com. Chain stores have a different price tiering for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Rockauto.com prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices available rather than the changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or account login. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Do You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Picking off where you left off on the last segment, talking about the inconsistencies that the Houston Texans have, the word consistency is possibly the second most used word I've heard from just about everybody on this organization. From when Bill O'Brien was here to Romeo Cannell is using it to Tim Kelly, Anthony Weaver, JJ Watt, Deshaun Watson, everybody that has had a press conference with us, we have heard we need to be more consistent. But John, I've came to the conclusion that consistency is not their problem. It's talent. This team is not talented. And this idea came from our guy, Big Sarge. I'm pretty sure you guys might, I'm pretty sure you guys are familiar with him. We had him on the show a couple of times. And yesterday morning, he tweeted that this will be a great time for us to discuss why Brian Gang was fired. It would definitely take our minds off the one and six start. And it got me wondering. Hold on. Nothing is going to take anybody's mind off of <laughs> off being one and six. Don't even try to sugarcoat it with a cherry on top. But 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 listen, but listen, but listen. It might. And if anything, it might get you more mad because when he said that, I, I started thinking of Brian Gain and what he did. And for those of you who possibly forgot how the Brian Gain relationship in the Houston Texans started and ended. He came in, I believe he was the player personnel for the for this team for at least two two years. And unfortunately, Rick Smith wife fell ill and Rick Smith left the organization in January of 2018. And Brian Gain took over. He signed a five-year contract. And he only lasted 18 months out of the five-year contract. But Brian Gain tenure here with the Houston Texans, it was met with mixed emotions and now looking back on it he almost looked like a genius with some of the moves he made now of course he wasn't the perfect general manager there were some moves that he made one of them we are still dealing with almost every single Sunday but looking back at game tenure here with the Houston Texans my biggest pet peeve was the talent that he brought in he always put them on a one-year prove-it deal. But then the other guys who were questionable or, you know, wasting a couple of draft picks, they're still on his team. But at the end of the day, the one thing I would give Brian Gain when he took over as general manager in 2018, I would say he did not focus on personal issues or personal beef with this player. He focused on something that just about all franchise want their general managers to focus on, not only build this team and help us get to that point where we can be a championship contending team, but focus on the areas we need you to focus on. And when he stepped in and general manager, all the moves that he made, it was either A, building the offensive line to protect Deshaun Watson, or B, starting to rebuild the secondary, which was at that time starting to decline a little bit. And looking back at some of his most notable moves, 
He signed Tyron Matthews. That was a one-year contract. He brought in Tayshawn Gibson. That was a three-year contract. Still don't understand why we let him go. Bradley Roby, three-year contract. Then he drafted Titus Howard, Charles Amanahu, Jordan Akins, and Justin Reed. Four guys who are basically the future and the foundation of their positions right now. And then, of course, you had some questionable moves that he made. You and I used to make jokes about it, calling them gang guys. Wasting two draft picks on Kaheli Waring and Cullen Gillespie. The longest tenure contract that I found that he gave out was to Zach Fulton for a four-year deal. I don't understand that. And then you have the one guy that's still in question that he drafted in 2019, which is Lonnie Johnson Jr. So when you look at the guys that he brought in, rather if it was one year, two years, or looking at three years and they're still part of this team, almost every single one of these guys help improve this organization in one way or another. And it has me thinking, and John, I'm going to ask you this question, and, and, and I'm going to give you my opinion. Did the McNairs make a mistake by getting rid of Brian Gaines? Because if you think about it, if this man was still general manager, I'm pretty sure we'll still have DeAndre Hopkins. I'm pretty sure he would get a deal done for Jadavion Clowney. Yes, I'm pretty sure he would have still made a couple questionable moves. But none of them would have been detrimental to this team like the moves that Bill O'Brien made in, what was it, 18 months when he held the title as general manager? I honestly do believe that the McNair made a big mistake by letting this guy go. So the mistake from the McNair family wasn't necessarily letting him go. Uh, the mistake from the McNair family is the same mistake of why we do not have DeAndre Hopkins here anymore, why we don't have Dwayne Brown, and why we struggle with protecting Deshaun Watson early on in his career, why DJ Reed is also not here. Um, the mistake wasn't with Brian Gain and him being let go. The mistake was with empowering Bill O'Brien a little bit too much and giving him all that power, allowing him to make crucial decisions when ultimately he was only partnering with Jack Easterby, who was his running mate, who was, he came to Houston because of Bill O'Brien. And so those two guys were always in each other's back hip. That was a mistake. Uh, now, there was some rumors and issues about Brian Gain while he was here in Houston that probably added to the fuel, added, added the fire to the fuel of why he is no longer here. Uh, what, what were some of those problems that, at least rumors, of what was the issue of Brian Gain while he was here in town? It revolved around a story. It was a security guard who used to work for the Texans. Of course, he was black. And they say that Brian Gain was targeting him. And that is the part of the reason why he was fired. And he wasn't the only guy. There was also a couple of rumors that Brian Gain was targeting a lot of African-Americans who were working for the Texans. Now, nobody came out and confirmed the rumors. Nobody came out and denied the rumors. So I'm pretty sure, you know, the old saying where, where there's smoke, there's got to be some type of fire. And right. I'm pretty sure that possibly added to the fuel, but. I'm just looking at it from a standpoint of just strictly general manager of the moves that he brought in. Now, like I say, I can't confirm if those rumors are true or not, but I'm just looking at it from a standpoint of the moves that he did while he was general manager. Like I say, he wasn't the best GM, 
But at the same time, he did make moves that at the time were the best moves for this organization. Yeah, and like you mentioned, where smoke, there is fire. And uh, normally when NFL rumors are started to circulate, uh, they're normally true. But when I look at what Brian Gain in his 18-month tenure uh, was able to accomplish, did the McNair family make a mistake? I, I can't put that necessarily on the McNair family of letting him go. I put it on them for empowering Bill O'Brien too much. And with Bill O'Brien getting empowered so much, we have to take a look at why Chris Olsen is no longer here in Houston. Chris Olsen was a guy that was a part of the Houston's front office for roughly 12 years and he did a very good job, right? And we look around in the league and we, we question a lot of, you know, stability with front offices. There's always some turmoil, a turnaround in certain areas, but Chris Olsen, who was the VP of football administration, and he also worked the cap, they called him the capologist, was fired last January. And this was after he was told that his job would be safe. But this was also around a time where the steam of Bill O'Brien getting a lot more power started to pick up more and more. Olsen was responsible for one of the largest deals in franchise history, actually the largest before Deshaun Watson, that included J.J. Watt's $100 million contract. He managed the Texans' salary cap. They had roughly $60 million in salary heading into this previous offseason. So he set the Texans up pretty well. Uh, it just seems like once he was gone, we started to get those contracts that now make it harder for Houston to move on, make it harder for Houston to trade because why I'm, why I'm, why would I trade for a player that makes this much money and he's not producing where the money lies. And just kind of like what we did with Jadavion Clowney, let's say if a team calls, they're calling about JJ. They're calling about Merciless. They're calling about certain players on our rosters that may be making past what they should make. Just like Jadavion Clowney, we had to pay some of that before he went to Seattle. And Houston is also just not in a position where they can pay half of who they're trading away and still try to focus on building through the free agency. That's why next year, the GM, the general manager, and his coaching, I'm sorry, his scouting staff will have to be really good. And that's something that, Cody, we're going to talk about. And there's a couple of names out there. When I look at the GM and how they have scouted through their in, uh, entirety in the NFL, why it's important for Houston to find somebody that knows how to draft after the third round. It's very important. But looking at Brian Gang getting fired by Bill O'Brien and the McNair family, I got to combine those two because they were working together. The McNair family did empower him. And also looking at how they fired the capologist and Chris Olsen after 13 years, the issue will always stand Bill O'Brien and the screw job that he did, whether it was last year, early this year, or throughout the entire COVID-19. Clueless as to what he was thinking on more occasions than not when dealing and working the franchise that he thought would be his for a couple more years. But we know he is gone after the horrendous on for start. Listeners at home, and I know you guys were either in your car, picking up your kids from school, getting flowers for your wife or your significant other, it doesn't matter. When you look at your Houston Texan team, 
they were really at a disadvantage when the season started off. What do I mean? Well, for one, they were still being head coach and general managed by Bill O'Brien. They did not have an offseason, so the second-year players and, and, and incoming free agents had a difficult time with communication and getting chemistry with one another, right? But when you look at the NFL teams so far, the best team in the league is Pittsburgh. Houston played them week three. The second best team in the league is Kansas City. Houston played them week one. The fifth best team in the league is Tennessee. They just played them two weeks ago. Nope, I'm not going for it. The sixth best team, hold on, the sixth best team in the league, Green Bay Packers. They just played them Sunday. Not going the for it. The seventh best team is the Baltimore Ravens, who they played week two. They had a very difficult schedule. It's not an excuse. To start, and they play Chicago later this season, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And Chicago is sitting at five and one. Which I didn't see that coming at, at all. Shout out to Nick Foles, Cody. Please don't start with your Nick Foles standing. <laughs> but uh, they they were just had a disadvantage this entire season. It just this was one of those seasons that you thought you'd be ready for, but overall you were never ready for it. And Houston did release running back CJ Procise, formerly of the Seattle Seahawks, and it got me thinking about how Houston really wasn't ready for this upcoming schedule, the toughest the league put out this year and how many players are just not ready for Houston this year. I mentioned how the numbers per quarter are just so drastically different. It's not like this team never had opportunities. It's not like they didn't have an opportunity to beat the Tennessee Titans. I think the the two games that were undoubtedly out of their way to win were the first two games of the season. I didn't think they was going to be Kansas City. I thought they had a chance against Baltimore Ravens, but ultimately I kind of believe that Baltimore would take care of that business. But they had an opportunity against Pittsburgh. They had an opportunity against the Vikings, and they had an opportunity against the Tennessee Titans. And contrary to what you may believe, Sunday's game, they still had an opportunity to make it closer than what it was and kind of make a run at it because we saw what they did against Tennessee. So the opportunities were out there. And I get where you're coming from. They, they still could have won some of those games. But just overall, how much this team was just not simply prepared, whether it was just not being prepared because of practice, whether it's not being prepared because you have a new a first-year D.C., a newly official full-time play caller in Tim Kelly. They got his duty snatchers to get awarded the next week, whether it's because Deontown Lynn was promoted to be your secondary coach and look how the secondary has been playing. Whether it was because the offseason you brought in too many dependable guys and not enough talent. No matter what it was, this team was just not overly prepared to take on the talent that they were facing. Pittsburgh is a damn good team. We know how good the Kansas City Chiefs are who just added Le'Veon Bell. We know how good the Baltimore Ravens are, who who has gotten a little lost in the sauce because Lamar Jackson isn't really putting up those MVP numbers, but they're still five and one. We know how good Green Bay has been this year. They just really wasn't prepared to take on any of these teams. And we have seen it because with the scoring disparity in between quarters, it the more you were prepared, the more those numbers will equal up, the more you'll be able to close out games and close out halves and get started early. And all of those things go into accountability when you look at being prepared. Houston is just not being prepared this year. However, we are prepared to bring to you guys another episode of Locked On Texans today, tomorrow, and throughout the rest of the week. We do have guests coming on. 
time of the year where we get to talk about the Texans and because they're bad, it may hurt to talk about it, but we have to do it. I'm John, some sports guy Hickman. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Texans and like us on Facebook. As always, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y, D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace. You are Locked On Texans, your daily podcast on the Houston Texans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.